0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So,
1: no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
0: Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates national average twelve month savings of seven hundred forty four dollars by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June twenty twenty two and May twenty twenty three. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Here is Tristan Wirfs, first round pick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, with the the, uh, the he can dunk. Hey, look, and here's the thing. He's 320 pounds, but he's also 6'5", and he's got long arms. I I, I am not going to get all worked up because a guy that's 6'5 with long arms can put a basketball through a 10-foot hoop. That is not impressive to me, Big Cat. Is it impressive to you?
0: No, and he's a professional athlete. Anyone who's a professional (laughs) athlete, an NFL first-round pick, I can almost guarantee you that every single first-rounder was an absolute stud at either baseball or basketball in high school in addition to their football prowess because they're unbelievable athletes. They're freaks of nature. They're one of, you know, 32 guys in the entire world that get picked in the first round. So, yeah, this is not impressive whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Can you dunk? Could you ever dunk?
0: No, no. I have no no athletic jump bounce. I don't have the bounce. I'm below the rim player. Just box out, play defense. That's all you got to do. All
1: right. Uh, So that's Tristan Wirfs. He can dunk. That's not going to help keep Tom Brady in one piece this year, but uh, at least he's got the basic athleticism to lunge at somebody who is crashing through the line to try to do uh, damage to the new starting quarterback in Tampa Bay. The new starting tight end in Tampa Bay is Rob Gronkowski. And, you know, we're going to do a little weekend review here. And this is, to me, the most intriguing story of the week because it arises – from something that Rob Gronkowski said while doing a show with you last Saturday after the draft, it was the Bud Light Seltzer drafter party. And Mm -hmm. it was an interview with Sage Steele from ESPN. And she was talking about how the AFC North is going to be ultra competitive in her opinion. And Joe Burrow, the Bengals quarterback has had the playbook for weeks and Gronk interjects. That's no big deal. I've had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, playbook for four weeks and I wasn't even on the team and somebody sent that to me three days later and said is this okay is this allowed is this is this permitted for a guy who at the time was on the New England Patriots reserve retired list to have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playbook and of course we wrote something about it because we like to stir up trouble when we can and Gronk responded by saying it was just a joke and I went back and watched it over and over again big cat If it's a joke, I don't know, maybe my sense of humor hasn't properly developed to the point where I can appreciate the nuance of the effort at comedy, but it it didn't seem like a joke. It was a response to an argument that was being had about whether or not there's value in having the playbook early. So what was your thought at the time as it was happening?
0: Everything that Gronk says has a level of it's a joke in it. So I think he gets a pass there. It's what I just learned is you have an army full of narcs, which is crazy. I never knew that. It does scurry around the internet looking like peeping in Dak Prescott's window to see how many people are having a party there and, and watching Gronk and how long he's had the playbook. So I I think it was a joke. I also, at the beginning of the show, had said to Gronk, uh, thanks so much for tipping me off. And he said, I'm sorry. I had to keep it under wraps. He said, well, you did tell me at the Super Bowl on air that you were going to go to the Bucks as soon as Tom Brady signed there. And he paused and was like, wait, did I say that? So come on, that's, <laughs> that's wrong. You know what I mean? Like he's, I, I think we can give him a pass here, but great investigative work by you and thank you for getting the viewership up. Cause you just said you watched it multiple times. Uh, that's just money in my pocket. Thanks, Mike.
1: Hey, the, the army of narcs is a direct byproduct of the deflate gate dynamic from five years ago. And and this is the honest to God truth. Not that I sit here and lie most of the time or at all. The idea that when the NFL went after the Patriots for the scientifically flawed theory of the air being taken out of the footballs before the AFC championship game against the Colts, after that happened, anytime anyone would even potentially accidentally violate a rule. Somebody, typically a Patriots fan, would say, hey, how about that? Hey, hey, how about this? And this is just a a continuation of that. Whenever there is a potential rules violation by someone, someone else will let me know, and it's quite often a Patriots fan. And in this case, look, if the Patriots could show that there was any sort of shenanigans, that there was tampering with Rob Gronkowski they would stand to benefit because, you know, a lot of times what happens is when there's a victim of tampering, not only does the team that violated the rules lose a pick, but the team that was the victim picks up, you know, some extra draft consideration as part of that transaction.
0: Okay, so I'm fascinated with the army of narcs. Uh, Do you have, do you have like a lieutenant, a general, a sergeant? Do you have ranks? (laughs) is there a a spot where there is one person you actually recognize over and over? It's like, this guy has really given me some good narc tips. Like he has got his eyes out there for the rules. And I like this guy. Has there been a repeat? Uh, like you basically have all the guys, you remember where the PGA tour used to have it so you could call in violations. And then they did away with that. I think you just picked up, everyone who's been sitting there with a hole in their heart because they can no longer call in rules violations on a sunday afternoon when everyone's trying to take a nap watching golf so that's where you're at now you have all those people you have a, you have an unbelievable surplus of people looking to uh call in petty crimes
1: it 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 doesn't happen like it used to it's subsided since deflate gate kind of faded into memory and it helped that the patriots have won a couple of super bowls since then, actually, what they've won three. They won. They won the second half of their six since Deflategate first came up in early 2015. So that ongoing success has kind of taken the steam out of it. But they're still out there. It it happens from time to time. It's not. A, it's more like a militia. It's not really a, a full blown army and it's kind of a ragtag bunch that, uh, yeah, I'll hear. And there's, there are some email addresses that look familiar when they pop through, but uh, you, I love it. they're going to get you next. You watch I out love you're it. next. It's so good. Um, no, I
0: listen. I like them. I'm, I'm team, I'm team militia. Mike Florio's militia. That's a hilarious idea.
1: I still don't buy it though. I still don't think it was a joke. I know you're compromised here because you got the Bud Light check as part of it. But, and you don't want to throw Gronk under the bus. But this is one of the problems, Big Cat, of on one hand trying to keep your budding media career going, and on the other hand, trying to go back and play football. Like this wouldn't fly with Bill Belichick. This is one of the reasons he's not going to unretire in New England because Belichick's going to say all that other crap ends now. Tampa Bay is going to let him do it. Although I think that his effort to put the toothpaste back in the tube was the direct result of someone calling up saying, Gronk, what the hell are you doing? I mean, we know we were talking to you for weeks in advance. You just can't tell people that. I think they were talking to him for weeks in advance. I think this was something that had been cooked up weeks before it happened, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did have the playbook. Whether he got it from Tom Brady, Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, or straight from one of the members of the Glazer family, it's not going to surprise me because I think the entire attitude of the Buccaneers organization since... Tom Brady became available is we're going to do whatever the hell we have to do to go get him. And we're not going to worry about any rules we may violate along the way because everybody violates these rules.
0: He couldn't have thrown in. I was co-hosting with Big Cat. That would have been nice if I had gotten a little play there. I, I agree with you in the respect, Mike. This is going to be very interesting to see how Gronk and Tom Brady act with the media now that they're out of the Patriot way and out of New England. It's going to be fascinating.
1: Oh, absolutely, and we've already seen it from Brady with the two-hour interview on Howard Stern a couple of weeks ago. Something he never would have done if he was still a member of the Patriots. You know, the other side of this—it's not just potential rules violations in acquiring Brady and Gronkowski. Because, oh, Bruce Arians at the scouting combine said, "Hey, when free agency starts, yeah, I'm going to call Tom Brady." Well, that's an obvious bright line violation of the tampering rules. Get but him. Again, the NFL, the, Get him. the NFL doesn't care. The NFL doesn't care. But I'm telling you that I didn't even need I didn't even need the militia of narks to tell me about that one. Arian said it out in the open to reporters. I mean, they they tampered with Brady. They potentially tampered with Gronk. And then you got Brady meeting with Byron Leftwich, accidentally going into some other guy's house, dropping duffel bags that presumably contained footballs onto the ground because they were getting ready to go have a workout that clearly violated the rules. I mean, look, hey, more power to him. If if you don't get caught, if nobody does anything to you about it, then you're not cheating, right? So do whatever the hell you want to do. Dare the NFL to do something about it. The NFL's got bigger issues now trying to figure out whether or not there's going to be a football season. This is the perfect time to cheat like crazy. Listen,
0: I, I'm, I'm having fun with Mikey's militia, the army of narcs, but your point is correct. And I, I do think that we get lost to here and, and I poke fun at you, but at the end of the day, well, I'm gonna give you a compliment, Mike. So if you want to just get ready for this, make sure you're sitting down. You are correct. On. You are correct in the respect that where is like, what's getting enforced and what's not. What Tell us what rules matter and what don't because what you're basically saying, and it's good that there's at least someone ex- who exists, again, a compliment out there saying, Hey, NFL, why does this rule matter and why does this rule not matter? Why do you even have this rule if you're not going to enforce it? So kudos to you because that actually is important to know why, why even have the rule if no one's going to enforce it. So you're serving at least a purpose in that respect and I'm, I'm going to tip my cap and that's all, no sarcasm. I actually do think that. I believe that.
1: And let me give you the best example of how arbitrary this all can be. We could talk about the Bounty Gate scandal because, look, everybody had some sort of a program like that where you got an extra couple of bucks for doing your job well, for applying a clean legal hit that incapacitates an opponent. That happened all over the place. Greg Williams did it everywhere that he was. But once they found that the Saints did it and they decided they're going to make an example out of the Saints, they ignored all the other times it happened because they didn't want the whole world to know. And I think that's what it comes down to, Big Cat. They're selective in their enforcement of the rules because if they enforce these rules against everyone they would be constantly letting us all know that there is corruption that is rampant in the NFL so they have the rules so they can say we've got these rules to ensure that there isn't cheating to ensure that there are responsible ethical practices and then everybody violates them and just there it's I said this the other day it's like the claw the claw just comes down and grabs one and that's the one that gets made the example out of. Case in point, four years ago, the Chiefs got whacked for talking to Jeremy Macklin directly during the 48-hour window when you're only supposed to be talking to the player's agent. You can talk to the agent about a contract, can't talk to the player. Andy Reid drafted the player in Philadelphia. They had a conversation with Jeremy Macklin. The league caught wind of it, and they took away a third-round pick. And imposed hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. It's like everybody is tampering, everybody is violating the rule. How do you justify picking one team once every five years? And it's all about like when you get when you get one every five years, you show hey we we enforce these rules. We you know these rules have meaning, but meanwhile you're ignoring all the other violations. And right now, as it relates to the Buccaneers and all the rules they're violating, as to Brady and Gronkowski, the NFL is in full blown we are ignoring the rules mode and they will stay there until it is so blatant and so repeated that the NFL has no choice, but to do something about it.
0: I great speech. I agree. I agree. It's it's either enforce all the rules or enforce none of them. Just consistency is what you're asking for. And I, I absolutely agree with the idea that consistency, I don't care. Ultimately, I do not care if Tom Brady goes to Byron Leffridge's house, with uh, his pads. I do not care if Rob Gronkowski has a playbook four weeks ago. I really do not care, but I do care about consistency, and that's what you're arguing for. So Mikey's Militia, carry on. You're fighting the good well, fight.
1: And let me tell you, there are some generals in, in my militia, and they are people who are general managers with other teams. And when I start hearing <laughs> from them quietly, yeah. when they're saying, hey, wait, this is BS – He can't be going to Byron Leftwich's house. There's footballs in those duffel bags. You don't go there to pick up a playbook. They send you the damn thing like they sent it to Gronk. So Mm -hmm. there are people in the league who look at this stuff and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're at least trying to follow the rules. And they're just blatantly breaking them. Now, um, as I said, the NFL's got bigger fish to fry right now because they're trying to figure out whether or not there's going to be a football season. And at this point, unfortunately, no one knows. Story that came out yesterday from Andrew Marchand of the New York Post. And this is something I've alluded to already. The idea that if college football is not practical in the fall, there's been talk about maybe a February to May season, whatever the case may be. If they abandon Saturdays, Big Cat, the NFL is considering that thing you love in December, that triple header last year, it was Texans, Bucks, Bills, Patriots, Rams, 49ers. They're considering playing games on Saturdays. To take up the space that would be vacated by college football, I think it makes a ton of sense if Saturdays are otherwise not going to have any sports. It makes sense in
0: principle, Mike. But now, what? Look at what you're going to do. So, are you saying there's going to be three Saturday games all season long? Is that the is that what we're guessing?
1: If there's no, but here's the thing. That would be the maximum. The full-blown maximum would be – hang on. The full-blown maximum, if the NFL wants to blow this out to its complete extent, Friday night game and three windows on Saturday, just like the three windows on Sunday. That's the maximum that they could do.
0: So what that does is, one, it eliminates the red zone madness that everyone loves. Two, it really makes it so that there are these standalone games that we know when the primetime games and the standalone games are not good – People don't – people will stop watching, it, 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 like, to a point.
1: Yeah, now, to a they'll point, compl- They'll complain about them. They'll watch them, but they'll complain about them.
0: What? Are you sure, though? Because there are some games that I remember, like Monday night games, Sunday night games, uh, Thursday night games, where the matchup has not been good and it has shown a little bit in the ratings. And I think when you when you stretch it all out and you make the team – and you kind of dilute where you have all these games in red zone and you have your best games on Sunday night and Monday night, it's going to be a little bit harder to get people to tune in, especially people. I I do I am convinced that in America, there are, cer- there are certain people that are college football fans only, NFL fans only. So when you stretch it out and you say you got to watch Saturday and Sunday, will people still be tuning in at the same numbers? I think they'll obviously be tuning in. That's not my point. I don't think it's going to be apples to apples where you can say, oh, these are our Sunday numbers. We'll just put a couple games Saturday. They'll be exactly the same.
1: But here's the thing. If we get to the point where there's no college football, if we are still in a situation where you can't play that sport and maybe can't play other sports like What else are we going to do? Look, they threw together a draft last week with people sitting in their basements doing Zoom appearances. And and the ratings were higher than ever because what the hell else do we have? I think that's what it comes down to. Projecting how many people will consume the content on Saturday – when there's no college football, all those thousands of people who would be at college football games are home. What are they doing? And there's no other sports on on Saturday. Here's NFL games that we can watch, and I complain all the watch. time. I, I'm I don't, just saying, look, get, ready I, I, get, ready I, I, get ready for it.
0: Get ready for it because it will be bad football. There will be bad football, and it will be in bright lights when it is bad, and people will complain. And just get ready for that. I, I listen. I want more football. I'll take all the football there's especially in the world you just described where there's nothing else going on, but just get ready for it. Because when you stretch out the games and you start having these standalone games, and you lose the red zone, the witching hour, it will feel very different.
1: Yeah, If the choices are Jacksonville, Miami or cat cave Derby, 135, I'm taking Jacksonville, Miami. Sorry. No,
0: nah, I don't know about that. I don't
1: know about that. <laughs> let's, let's take a break. Um, but one other thing, though, and I'm going to write about this at profootballtalk.com today. Shameless plug. There are some business issues that I think would complicate this for the NFL because you'd be taking games away from Sunday and diluting that product for the networks. And then yes. you're, you're, you're doing this on Saturday because you want to make more money. How are the networks going to come up with more money? They're just not going to double the rights fees for this year at a time when the advertising dollars are uh, drying up. So there's a lot of issues that could make this unattractive for the NFL from a business standpoint, even though Saturday may be wide open waiting for someone to drop football into those windows that otherwise would have the college version of it. All right, let's take a break. Nick Saban had great things to say about Tua tonga before the draft. Now that the pick has been locked in at number five overall to the Dolphins, Saban is tempering his enthusiasm. We're going to dive into that when PFD Live continues right after this. To a tongue of Ilo, the fifth overall pick in the 2020 draft to the Miami Dolphins. Kind of a surprise because the Dolphins did a good job of keeping quiet about their intentions. Nick Saban. Tungabailoa's head coach at Alabama, was not quiet about his praise of Tua. He basically said, hey, look, if you don't take Tua, you're making a, a mistake on the level that I made in 2006 when I said no thank you to Drew Brees. So uh, the Dolphins, who were the team that Saban was working for, when they said no thank you to Drew Brees, he did that warning. And now, and now, now that he's drafted, Nick Saban is singing a slightly different tune. Here are quotes to. The Miami Herald earlier this week, the number one thing we've tried to convince Tua of is he's got to learn self-preservation as part of the job. Tua is a great competitor. You don't want to take his competitive spirit away. He's always trying to make a play, even when the play breaks down. And that's good. He does it well. He makes a ton of plays in the circumstances. But I still think there are times when there's just nothing there. Several times when he's got hurt here, I felt like there's no reason for him to even get hit. Now, look, that, that cuts against the phrase that Saban gave to Tua And I don't know how much of that can be taken out of who a guy is. You know, Sims has said that when he looked at Tua's film, there were so many times where Tua got hit in an awkward way that made Sims think he's not getting up. And he managed to get up, but you get hit in awkward ways like that on a regular basis at the NFL level, you ain't getting up. So, you know, uh, a big part of being an effective quarterback in the NFL is being able to show up and play. And I don't care how good Tua is when he plays. If he plays in a way that jeopardizes his ability to play, that to me is a red flag. That's exactly why there was talk of him sliding out of the top 10, Big Cat.
0: Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, by the way. The, the Nick Saban uh, picture there, that's from like 25 years ago. Love that. Love that. Make sure that you always use the youngest picture. But I, I know exactly what you're saying, Mike. But don't you think that there's an element that once Tua gets the NFL and everything's Faster, stronger, bigger. It's going to be a little more self-preservation. Remember, he's playing at Alabama that was so much better than almost everyone they played for to his entire stretch as his college career. That going out there and saying, I am Superman, I can take the hits. I can stand in the pocket a little extra and let these guys come after me probably gets in your brain because you say, I got I got just dudes everywhere to the left of me and to the right. So it's it, I I I wouldn't say that he can't completely eliminate that from his game because he did it in college. I think playing for Alabama, having that superhero feel to him, having the ability to have a you know an offensive line in front of you, studs on the outside, and be like we're Superman, we're gonna just dominate everyone. That's gonna change once he gets the NFL and, and things move a little bit faster.
1: And I think the challenge is adjusting that clock in your head without getting to the point where you have the yips, essentially. where And, and you know, Sims and I have had this conversation about Eli Manning in the latter years of his career. When he had no protection, the clock accelerated for him. He was making decisions faster than he would have because he had to assume the walls were going to slam shut within two or three seconds instead of within four or five seconds. And there were times he'd throw the ball where he wasn't in any physical danger. But And that's going to be the challenge for Tua, understanding I have to know where that sweet spot is to get rid of the football, and I have to time it right. And here's the problem. I think a lot of it's instinctive, Big Cat, and that's my concern. You develop your muscle memory. You develop your sense of how your body operates in relation to everyone else's, and now all of a sudden you're making a dramatic change to that, and you become someone who is more cautious with your body. It's important that he does that. I just don't think it's something that you can say, oh, that's what I need to do. Oh, okay, I'll go do it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I still love the pick for the Dolphins. I think two is special. I, I get the concerns. I also love that Nick Saban is doing a great job of hedging. Like you said, uh, the, everyone was saying, you know, you have. To, he, he was telling everyone before the draft, if you don't pick two, it's the biggest mistake you ever made. Then the draft happens. And he says, well, he's got to stay, stay healthy. So that's a smart <laughs> hedge on his part so that he doesn't look foolish if Tua gets hurt right away. But I, I still love the pick for the Dolphins. And, and, and the Dolphins, the, the rebuild they have done in a very short period of time, and you could make the argument that they've been kind of rebuilding for a long time because they haven't had a guy behind center that, that they've trusted since Dan Marino. But what they've done in the last two years has been, I, th- I think, very impressive. And I do think they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be frisky next year and you saw them fight for Brian Flores, and they've kind of remade what they're going to do and how they want to do it pretty quickly here, Um, I'm tipping my cap because it's hard to do in the NFL, and it feels like they've done a pretty good job with it.
1: And I think they also sold the owner on taking the risk with Tua because the owner wanted Joe Burrow. I know that for a fact. He wanted Joe Burrow. They tried to move up to get Joe Burrow. When the Bengals consistently say, no, 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 no. Well, the owner still wants a franchise quarterback. So if you can't get Burrow, who's next? And it's either Justin Herbert or it's Tua Tonga-Vailoa. The team decided it's Tua. And hey, if it doesn't work, it's just the latest failed Dolphins quarterback since Dan Marino. But I think Ross, as he turns 80 on May 10th, I believe, he he wants to have a franchise quarterback to carry him through this next decade, which, I mean, let's, let's be realistic. It may be the last decade he owns the team. So uh, I think that was part of the motivation. They want a franchise quarterback. They couldn't get Burrow. They're rolling the dice with Tua, and they're hoping that this time around the football gods will give them craps when craps is good. I never know when craps is good. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. It's been bad for the Dolphins for a long time. They're hoping that craps turns out good.
0: I, I, something just popped in my head. We need to have a graphic, the desperate owner, the, the, the desperate life owner, uh, watch whenever an owner, when we get into, cause we've been saying it with Jerry Jones for a really long time now, like Jerry Jones getting it's up the, there. He really it's wants the to get Leon the Super Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, it's, the,
1: it's the Leon Hess watch.
0: Yeah. Let's do it. Let's start, let's start judging how teams, how aggressive teams are going to be based on their owner's age. I love this.
1: But Leon Hess is the one who came out and said that. I'm basically, yeah. uh, I'm not going to live a whole lot longer. I got to make the moves I need to make to try to make the team better now. And I think that's when he fired Pete Carroll and hired Rich Kotite. So um, maybe that's not the, the guy that it should be named after. Maybe, maybe we name it after Stephen Ross if Tua Tonga-Vailoa ends up being a franchise quarterback. Either way, let's take a break. You're going to hear from Jets coach Adam Gase. I spoke to him yesterday afternoon. And then after that, we're going to have a draft of the all-time best undrafted players in NFL history. That's what's coming up next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. There was a tweet that I saw somewhere during the 2020 draft pointing out that historically there are more undrafted players in the Hall of Fame than number one overall picks in the Hall of Fame. And... Uh, it's fairly obvious when you think about it because there's only one number 1 overall pick per year. There are hundreds of undrafted players and some of those guys do indeed make it to Canton. So today's draft is the best undrafted players of all time. Big Cat gets the trivia question. Here we go. Big Cat, who is the only quarterback in NFL history to start a season 8 and 0 and start a season 0 and 8? And the hint is that he currently uh, is. Uh, oh, it's Andy Dalton uh, in the league. There you go. This I was trying to here. think how best to. I was trying. I was trying to think of how best uh, to phrase the tint because he's in the league, but he's not in the league, and I don't want to say that because yes. then it would either be him or Cam Newton. But uh, you got it right. You got Andy Dalton. You get the first pick in the okay. draft of the best undrafted players of all time.
0: The first pick is an easy one for me. It's going to be Kurt Warner. And I think you have to go with a Hall of Famer to start. And Kurt Warner, I actually, we, we recently, on part of my take, Shameless Plug, did our top uh 10 QBs of all time. And I, I regret not at least saying Kurt Warner because Kurt Warner was that good at his peak. The you know, greatest show on turf kind of revolutionized what what offensive football looked like at the time. That was something totally new had a complete second act with the Cardinals. When Kurt Warner was on, it was tough to to top him in terms of the quarterback play. He was an undrafted free agent. Obviously, everyone knows, stocking shelves at a grocery store, playing arena football. Unbelievable story. Kurt Warner's my number one undrafted free agent, especially because we'll see other guys on this list, but doing it from the quarterback position, You know how, how much we value it, and how many resources get put into it to have an undrafted Hall of Fame quarterback is quite the feat. So, Kurt Warner is my number one.
1: And I, I remember the way that Kurt Warner kind of landed on the radar screen. Trent Green took a low hit from Rodney Harrison in a preseason game in 1999. Dick Vermeil literally cried about it. And you just wrote the Rams off at that point. I mean, the Rams had been bad. Who's this Kurt Warner guy? They're not going to be any good. And then the next thing you know, it it just it just it's one of those moments where as it's happening, you know it's really, really special and it's going to be memorable. And you can sense it. A lot of times you need the benefit of of time and distance to appreciate what you saw. That was one of those, almost like the eighty five Bears to give your your team a little pop, where you know as it's happening, this is a big deal. This is special. Yeah. And it made it yes. more special that we're hearing about, we're learning about this guy who played for the Iowa Barnstormers. He played in the World League. And who the hell is this guy? He's a guy who, you know, by the way, I think it was Paul Burmeister of NBC that got Kurt Warner's scholarship to Iowa. He had to go to some school other than Iowa, Northern Iowa, or something like Northern that. Iowa. So Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa. So many little wrinkles. And they're going to make the Kurt Warner movie. The Kurt Warner movie is coming. So uh, we'll really? learn all about Kurt Warner. Yes. Yes. Are you going to get a cameo? Saw, no. Are you? No. Why would I? I don't know. Why would I? All right. I don't know. First pick for me. And and I'm glad you got the trivia question right because I was going to struggle with this because Kurt Warner is the obvious choice for anybody who's been paying attention to football for the past 30 years. But as I did my research for this, I was reminded. And the kids out there who are currently playing Madden, if you're playing the ultimate team on Madden, you know who this guy is because he is one of the best players in the game. Dick Night Train Lane, who was undrafted in 1952. Now, you'll say, well, there was only like 12 teams in the league then. Who who cares if you're undrafted? There were 30 rounds of the draft in 1952. 360 players were drafted that year, and not one of them was Night Train Lane. And Night Train Lane had 14 interceptions as a rookie. That's still the single-season record for interceptions today He made it to the hall of fame undrafted with 360 guys selected by 12 teams in 1952. So, and that's, I would have really struggled between him and Kurt Warner, because as you learn more about Dick Knight train lane, it's amazing that the guy made it. It's amazing that he's in the hall of fame. It's amazing. He wasn't drafted.
0: That is incredible. 30 rounds. Oh my gosh. That's, that's awesome. Um, Good pick, but it's way too old for people to think that was a good pick. But I know it's a good pick, Mike, even though it's not a great pick. Okay. If My, you were listen, uh,
1: if you were playing, if you were playing Madden instead of that old college football game from nineteen ninety eight that you're streaming on Twitch every day, you would know who Dick Knight Train Lane is instead of right. who this this Doug this Coach Doug's guy is.
0: Coach Doug's the legend in the game is from 2014. Not that old. I can't believe you didn't pick this guy though. Oh, uh, with my second pick, I'll go to your team. How did you not take John Randall? John D- Randall. I, D- what? What? I was hoping you wouldn't. Now, of course I'm going to take John Randall. He was number two on my board. John Randall. Uh, one of the best defensive tackles in, in, in the NFL in the nineties, 137 and a half sacks in his career undrafted. And of course, the cool eye paint that he would put on. John Randall absolutely deserves to be on this list of best undrafted free agents. Played for the Minnesota Vikings. Wasn't able to win a ring with that team that was fantastic 15 and 1. They missed a field goal uh, nice. late in the game against the Falcons. The Falcons go to the Super Bowl. They probably should have nice. won the Super Bowl that year, but John Randall is my number two pick.
1: Now, you just said, and we can play it back if we need to that quarterbacks get extra preference in this regard because it's an important position and it's a more impressive no, 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 achievement no, 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 to go undrafted. That's what you quarterbacks.
0: said? Quarterbacks. I already have a quarterback. It's called diversifying oh. your portfolio, my friend. All
1: right. Because uh, you overlooked an undrafted quarterback. A quarterback who Warren spent Warren Moon, I know. I didn't in- overlook yeah, it. Yeah, Warren Moon. Give me Warren Moon. <laughs> well, then why didn't you take him? Why didn't you take him? I thought you would take him I wanted and I to could ta- have John Randall.
0: I wanted to take a Viking. Yeah, I wanted
1: to take a Viking. Well, Warren Moon played for the Vikings. You realize that, don't you? That's do you, true. You, but I want uh, to
0: take a Mister Viking. That's what I'm calling w- John Warren Ray. Moon.
1: Warren Moon played for the Vikings in an era where they routinely dominated the Chicago Bears. That's probably why you didn't take Warren, Warren Moon, Moon. But he if obviously, you think
0: of, hold on. If you think of Warren Moon, you think Houston Oilers.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All
0: right. I'm just making sure. I know he played for the Vikings, but I'm saying he was a Houston Oiler. Like that would be the the, the team you'd think of.
1: Yeah, but still, Warren Moon, uh, unbelievable that he wasn't drafted, consciously went to Canada instead of trying to make it as an undrafted guy in the NFL, became a star in Canada, and finally got his chance in the NFL and uh, made a lot of people look stupid for not giving him a chance from the get-go. One of the great quarterbacks of all time. So without question, Warren Moon. All right, what do you got next?
0: All right, I'm going to continue to diversify my portfolio here with my last pick, and that will be out of Kent State, Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates, one of the best tight ends of all time, unbelievable career, 16 seasons. Uh, obviously, everyone knows he was a basketball player. It was It's crazy. I still think that Antonio Gates is going to be there week one. I don't know if he actually is retired or not, but he is bound for the Hall of Fame, and that will... Give me now a a defensive player, a tight end, and a quarterback. That is a dominating draft by me. Good job, Big Cat.
1: All right. I've got a defensive back who has the single season record for uh, interceptions all time. I've got a quarterback who probably has thrown for more yards than anyone if you put together his NFL and CFL numbers. Now I have a lot of different ways I can go here. I thought about Wes Welker. Because I I was surprised to remember that he was undrafted, but he didn't have a Hall of Fame career, so Wes Welker doesn't get the nod. Sorry, Wes. James Harrison, I thought about him. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer either. Great player, undrafted, cut like 15 times before it finally worked for him. I admire that kind of perseverance. But again, he's not going to be a guy, I think, at this point, who gets to the Hall of Fame. The one Hall of Famer out there that I can't overlook is... uh, Boy, I'm torn. I'm torn between Willie Brown and Donnie Shell. I got to give it to Willie Brown, even though I'm still upset about the slow-motion NFL Films highlight of the interception return against the Vikings in Super Bowl 11. I, I got to go with Donnie Shell. I not no. I got to go with Willie Brown. I thought about Donnie Shell because he was undrafted in the year that the Steelers drafted four Hall of Famers, and now Shell's making it to the Hall of Fame. Willie Brown, a I- half click above Donnie Shell. So I'm trying to wedge them both in. To my to my pick here, but I'll take Willie Brown uh, as my last one, undrafted by the Raiders and uh, an all time legend. So uh, it was fun. It was fun. Any other names that didn't make your cut? yeah
0: yeah the, a couple other names I had floating around Priest Holmes, uh, Tony Romo, and then this one is a little bit different because uh, they don't usually draft these guys, but Adam Vinatieri was undrafted, so yep. and he will be yep. in Canton someday, so he at least deserves honorable mention.
1: Yep, absolutely right. Yeah, Romo undrafted, and and uh, you know Romo's not going to make it to the Hall of Fame, but it just shows you you can find a franchise quarterback anywhere uh, if you get lucky, and uh, the Cowboys got lucky with Tony Romo. But but you know what? I they they knew he was going to be something early on, and Sean Payton tried to get Tony Romo as soon as Sean Payton became the head coach of the Saints in 2006, tried to pry him away from Parcells, and Parcells wasn't having it because Parcells knew at some point that year. Bledsoe's to the bench, and Tony Romo becomes the starting quarterback. All right, we've got to take a break. More PFT Live to come uh, when we return. Speaking of the Cowboys and Tony Romo, the expectations for their new receiver are a little bit higher based upon the number he will be wearing on his back. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. C.D. Lamb joins a proud tradition of Dallas Cowboys – who have worn the number 88. It really started with Drew Pearson back in the 70s, notwithstanding his push-off against the Vikings in the 1975 playoffs. Drew Pearson, one of the all-time great Cowboys. And then... The legend grew with Michael Irvin, and then it was passed to Antonio Bryant, and then Des Bryant, and now C.D. Lamb. Now, along the way, and this is kind of weird. I didn't know this until yesterday, Big Cat. Michael Irvin had his career end due to injury in 1999. The very next year, they issued number 88 to tight end Jackie Harris. Now, I know that Irvin wasn't the original 88, but it's just kind of weird they didn't shelve it for a year or two after Irvin retired.
0: Yeah, that is a little weird. I do kind of like this though—the tradition that goes with this uh, certain number. It's kind of like wearing ten in soccer, if you're a footy fan like myself. Uh, Mike, trivia question: What's the only number retired for the Dallas Cowboys?
1: There are none. There you go. You got it. Trick question. Yeah, you. Go. you I kind of like. Me. You try to trick.
0: I kind of like that they don't have any numbers retired. I, you know, retiring numbers. I get it, but I. I I also think it's kind of cool when the, when even – you know what's cooler than retiring a number is just retiring it without giving the retirement. So, like, no one wears it ever again, but it's not officially retired. I kind of like that.
1: I, I have always been against the concept of retiring numbers because I, I think long term. Like, at some point, you're going to run out of numbers to retire – you can't retire anymore, and then you're going to have a guy who's better than anyone you've ever had in your franchise, what do you do? And then, like, assuming that football survives 100, 200, 300 years, like, you've retired numbers for names that the modern fan has no idea who in the hell they are. I just, it's like, I I worry from time to time about when all the landfills are going to fill up and where we're going to put all the garbage. It's kind of the same idea. At some point, You're going to run out of numbers. You can't retire numbers. You have to save the numbers. Have you lost sleep over this? Like, gosh. Yes, I have. The Boston Celtics have
0: retired way too many numbers. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, it's easier It's easier in basketball because you only got 12 guys on the team. In football, you got 53. So you have a finite number of, of numbers you can ever retire. So, yeah, I mean, look, the Cowboys haven't retired number 12, but there's no way in hell anybody's wearing Roger Staubach's number. Right? How, they haven't retired number 22. There's no way in hell anybody's wearing Emmett Smith's number, right? So it, you do it unofficially. Just do it that way. And then 100 years from now, frankly, who cares about Roger Staubach and Emmett Smith? You must have uh, loved the gesture by
0: MLB, but had a mini anxiety attack when they retired Jackie Robinson's number across the league. You probably no, were like, you okay. have a big. You have a big cork board in your in your barn and you're like, oh, my God, that's just a number that we're just crossing off for every single team. We're running out of numbers.
1: No, that's OK. But you can't do that very often. You can't you, you can get away with one. And, and I think the circumstances more than justify it, obviously. Yep. But you can't you can't be doing that, you know, every 10 years or, yeah, eventually you're just going to have guys running around uh, with a bunch of jerseys, do not have numbers on them. And, and here's the other thing, too. While we're on this, why the hell do baseball players even have numbers? You don't need numbers to be a, do you need a number to be a baseball player? Yeah, you because really you want to, well, you want to sell jerseys. I, I know you want to I mean, that's the only reason to do it though. There's no independent significance to having, think about it, to having a number for what a baseball keeping player. the box score? And,
0: yeah. What, what about keeping a box score? That's a fun baseball thing. Okay.
1: Yeah. You just use their last name. You could use the position they play. Of course, then you would be doubled up if you have two right fielders. So, never mind. There you go. That's where it gets confusing. You number the positions and you number the players. It's too many numbers for one person to process. You put me in a box in that one. I'll agree. All right. uh, Let's take a break. When we return, the NFL teams that are engaging in the virtual offseason program are meeting up like Big Cat and I from our homes, and uh, you never know who's going to slip in to the meeting. The Seahawks had an unannounced guest on Friday. We'll show you who it was when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Uh, uh, Greg Olson. Greg, could you come in and tell the fellas what you're all about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coach, thanks so much. So
1: excited to be here. Uh, I'm so excited, uh, Seahawk. Look, I know what you're thinking. I'm an older guy. I'm 36. Uh, but uh, I've been I've been working out. Don't worry. I mean, does this look like the body of a 36 year old? I don't think so. Oh, well, we hope you're enjoying your breakfast at home. If you're watching the show, Will Ferrell's bare torso part of the proceedings today. I did not know that that was included in his crashing of the Seahawks virtual meeting. But you know, look, this is a, a a new frontier for the NFL, and I think one thing that these coaches are learning, and and I've I've gleaned this from talking to some of them and the GMs. They, you know, they're forced to do something different than they've ever done it, and they're such creatures of habit. When you force them to do something they've never done before, they realize, you know what, this isn't that bad. This is actually pretty good. One thing that I think it was Adam Gase told me yesterday, being able to talk to the draft prospects through the video conferencing technology, what happens is you've got like 30 people who are all watching and listening in real time and taking notes in real time instead of relying upon, you know, memory or hearsay or 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 just yeah you know, it's 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 a way to have everyone see it while it's happening and funnel questions maybe have better questions so you know they're going to come out of this experience with improved processes and new ideas for doing things based upon the things they they had to do
0: yeah innovation i mean the draft i i don't think rounds 1 through 3 they should change i think you should still invite people and have the live draft show but the draft was fascinating watching Coaching staff, scouting departments—you know—at their home, watching all the players at their home next year. If you want to get people to tune in four through seven, put more cameras in the in the draftees' uh, living rooms. I, I found myself being interested in just the human side of the draft and how it was all taking place. So I agree with you. There's some things that seem like uh, just because we've been rocked out of our routine, ha- have become almost better in a weird way.
1: You know, the other thing for the NFL, and they're never going to make a big deal about this, but they saved a ton of money, a ton of money doing the draft this way. And that, look, uh, let's be realistic, folks. We know that we're sports fans because we love sport, but there's a very strong business component to this. And when you have one way of doing things that is ridiculously expensive and another way of doing things that is a hell of a lot cheaper it becomes a lot easier to justify doing it the cheaper way if the cheaper way also works.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And people tuned in, and obviously there was a captive audience, so you can't really judge from now. But I, I thought the draft did a really great job of keeping me you know, engaged, and I was interested in it, and I thought it was going to be weird. But it really, after a few minutes, was like, hey, this is kind of normal now.
1: It supports the point I've been making for years, though. All of that stuff doesn't matter. We tune in to see and hear the commissioner announce the picks. That's it. It doesn't matter where he is. It doesn't matter who else is there. That's why we tune in. All right. We appreciate you for tuning in. Join us again on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Big Cat, we'll see you soon. Everybody have a great day.
0: Thank you, guys.